You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the September 13th, Wednesday, reading of the Pikes Peak Courier. My name is Sophia. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Two of world's most extreme foot races coming soon to Pikes Peak. Written by Spencer McKee. Council takes no action on short-term rentals. Written by Pat Hill. Beyond Bar. Hidden trails and destinations away from Pikes Peak's main route. Written by Seth Boster. Fall colors starting to emerge in Colorado. Written by Spencer McKee. Climbing gym in the works for Woodland Park. And following up with miscellaneous articles. The first article is entitled, Two of World's Most Extreme Foot Races, Coming Soon to Pikes Peak. Written by Spencer McKee. Runners from around the globe will gather in the Pikes Peak region with their sights set on tackling two of the most difficult foot races in the world. Both races travel to the 14,115-foot summit of Pikes Peak, up the iconic Bar Trail, taking place on back-to-back days, with the Pikes Peak Ascent taking place on September 16, and the Pikes Peak Marathon taking place on September 17. The Pikes Peak Ascent race is roughly a half-marathon, traveling 13.32 miles total with a jaw-dropping vertical gain of 7,815 feet. Given that the average grade of the route is about 11%, this race is almost entirely uphill, save a few very short stretches of trail. The following day, the Pikes Peak Marathon takes on the same route, with runners also turning around to descend the mountain after reaching the summit for a total distance of 26.2 miles. The fastest ascent finishers will complete the race with a time close to two hours, with the fastest marathoners crossing the finish line in under four hours. Aside from the rapid vertical gain, many other aspects of the route up Pikes Peak pose challenges for runners, including a serious risk of altitude sickness major temperature swings, and moving quickly on uneven and loose terrain. Perhaps even more shocking than the extreme race stats that come with the route is the fact that some runners compete in both events, running the half marathon on Saturday before turning around to run the full marathon on Sunday, completing the doubler challenge. Both races launch from downtown Manitou Springs. The next article is entitled, Council Takes No Action on Short-Term Rentals, written by Pat Hill. The Woodland Park City Council took no action on regulating and licensing short-term rentals at the meeting September 7. In a 4-3 vote, the council defeated the motion to approve Ordinance Number 1459. As a result, the council denied the resolution that would have allowed the city 
to impose regulations on rentals occupied less than 30 days. If passed, the regulations would protect residential integrity and community character while ensuring clarity, increased enforcement, fairness, and consistency, in line with the city's goals, according to language in the resolution. The minimum penalty for the owner of a short-term rental who operates without a business license would be no less than $10,000. Council members Robert Zaluga, Catherine Nakai, and Frank Connors voted to approve the ordinance, while Mayor Hillary Labar, Mayor Pro Tem Kelly Case, Carol Harvey, and Rusty Neal voted no. According to Labar, Connors, and Zaluga, wrote number 1459 without legal or council review. Without legal review of the ordinance, council would not vote to pass an ordinance for a public hearing as presented, the mayor said after the meeting. Instead, she added the council could have discussed the issue legally if the ordinance had been on the agenda under the category of new business. As a result, the memorandum on short-term rentals in Woodland Park remains in effect. Adding to the complexity of the issues is the Citizens Initiative proposed by the nonprofit Preserving Neighborhood Character, led by Jerry Penlin and Arnie Sparnins. To date, the petitioners have collected 1,438 signatures that will be verified September 21 by the city clerk, Suzanne LeClerc. If verified, the result will be a special city election that would address only the zoning issue. If passed by registered voters, short-term rentals would be allowed in commercial zones and in residential zones only if the home is the primary residence of the owner. At issue for Sparnins and Penland is the lack of specific zoning designations. The problem is that full-time lodging businesses are operating in our residential neighborhoods, Sparnins said. These are not our neighbors earning extra income by renting out a room or basement, but investors operating commercial lodging businesses. Penland berated the council. You gave us no choice but to completely bypass you, our elected officials, to solve our STR problems without you, he said. We did not propose a total ban on STRs in our city, but encourage primary residence STRs in single-family neighborhoods. Car wash. To an ordinance that would allow a car wash in the Walmart planned unit development, the council took no action after a 3-3 tied vote. Harvey excused herself due to her service on the city's planning commission where the issue first surfaced. Currently, the vacant land is zoned for a restaurant and council's approval would have replaced the allowance for a restaurant. Other news, council voted unanimously to approve a request by Steve Plutt to designate the Roberts House as an historic landmark. During the Depression, the Roberts family provided milk, butter, cheese, and eggs to the community in a cart pulled by a donkey, Plutt said. Plutt appeared at the meeting with Hildred Davis, 
whose grandmother was Edith Laughlin, who married Williams Roberts in 1886. My grandmother was quite a seamstress, and I have a quilt she made, Davis said. So thank you. Thank you. The home at 750 CR 21, east of downtown, was once a stop for the Colorado Midland and Midland Terminal Railroads before Woodland Park existed, he said. Council approved a proclamation declaring the city of Woodland Park a Purple Heart City, as presented by John Bartlett. Bartlett presented the first sign to the city at the Veterans Rally September 19. The funds donated by Jim Ware or Pro Promotions. For five additional signs, the American Legion 1980, VFW 6051, and Councilman Frank Connors. The proclamation will be hung in City Hall, and the first sign will be posted at the east entrance of the city. The next article is entitled, Beyond Bar, Hidden Trails and Destinations Away from Pikes Peak's Main Route, written by Seth Boster. This weekend, runners from around the world will take to Bar Trail in a tradition turning 68 years old. The Pikes Peak Ascent and Marathon calls athletes back to the most famous trail on America's most famous mountain. Only one long tradition to go with the Ad Am An Club's New Year's Eve climb and countless unnamed others by locals who regularly make the pilgrimage up the 14,115-foot peak. For locals and visitors alike, it's a classic, iconic tour thanks to Fred Barr. The man blazed the path more than 100 years ago, introducing us to points now synonymous with the journey. The switchbacking W's, Barr Camp, a more primitive shelter simply called the A-Frame, the Golden Stairs, and finally the Summit, where driving and train-riding tourists gather where driving and train-riding tourists gather. But Bar Trail doesn't begin to paint the picture of America's mountain. One could spend a lifetime exploring and never fully realizing the nooks and crannies of the mountain. Its broad shoulders extend far across the foothills to untrammeled forests and valleys and foreboding rocky lairs. Some hidden wonders are more accessible than others. Some should not be dared without a map, compass, and able body. And a warning that some paths appear faint or lost to time. This list merely offers a snapshot. Elk Park Trail. If hikers find themselves at Bar Camp, they are likely continuing along Bar Trail. If drivers find themselves along the Pikes Peak Highway at Glen Cove, they are likely only stopping to check their brakes, and so the trailheads for Elk Park are often missed. From Glen Cove to Bar Camp, Elk Park Trail, also mapped as Forest Service Trail 652, spans about five miles. The venture grants underappreciated views and up-close looks at some of the peak's forgotten history. 
Closer to the Glen Cove side, for example, a spur leads down to what is marked as Ghost Town Hollow on Robert Orme's legendary Pikes Peak Atlas. Rusted remains have been found at the short-lived, ill-fated mining operation from the 1890s. There's also Bottomless Pit, South Slope Recreation Area, Lake Moraine Trail, Hezer Trail, Catamount Trail, Ute Indian Trail, and more off the beaten path, the Sentinel Point, the Crater, and Raspberry Mountain. The next article is entitled Fall Colors Starting to Emerge in Colorado, written by Spencer McKee. Fall colors starting to appear in Colorado with reports of sporadic yellow leaves in the high country already coming in. Historically, fall colors start to appear in mass in northern Colorado first, generally starting mid-September. There's a little bit of lag for the appearance of fall colors moving south and in lower elevation terrain. But by early to mid-October, fall colors should be in full swing across the entire state. Leaves tend to change first in the Steamboat Springs area, then the Central Mountains and southwest Colorado, then the Pikes Peak region, and finally in southern Colorado near Trinidad. According to the U.S. Forest Service, two key factors that impact fall colors are temperature and moisture. A warm and sunny fall that lacks in freezing nights tends to result in the best display, especially when earlier months of spring and summer bring moisture to spur flora growth, followed by a warmer fall that doesn't kill that growth off so quickly. As those following along with Colorado's weather this year may guess, it's looking like these ideal conditions are present. A wet spring that was followed by moisture tapering off into a warm fall. In other words, expect fall colors to really put on a show. Plus, with the National Weather Service calling for a warmer start to fall and not noting an expectation for exceptional moisture, it's likely that these fall leaves will stick around a bit longer compared to years when winds, rain, and snow quickly knock them down. The next article is entitled Climbing Gym in the Works for Woodland Park, written by Pat Hill. If all goes according to plan, Woodland Park residents will be climbing the walls at the Forge Climbing LLC. The indoor facility is a project of 10 local investors comprised of business owners and industry specialists. We've acquired a distressed property on East Chester Avenue said Brian Johnson, spokesperson for the investors, speaking to the Downtown Development Authority, September 5. Johnson's appearance was a preliminary to the investors' pending request for tax increment financing for the project. The TIF reimbursement is based on the increase in property values due to the improvements. The investors plan to build the facility on one on 0.51 acre and raise the vacant building, which is unsalvageable, Johnson said. The land is zoned Central Business District and is the former site of Gormer 
Gourmet Auction. The Forge is a group of like-minded people with a vast array of skill sets, both in climbing and professionally, Johnson said, reading from his PowerPoint presentation. This indoor rock climbing facility would combine elements of climbing to fuel self-confidence, spark inner potential, and ignite a sense of adventure by providing a venue to enjoy athletic activity in a safe and controlled environment. In response, Tony Perry, the DDA chair, thanked Johnson for requesting the TIF as a preliminary rather than after completion of the project. If approved by the board, the investors would receive the tax reimbursement after a year of paying property taxes, Perry said. The investors plan to break ground by spring 2024, Johnson said, with the sale of 6.63 acres in Woodland Station by the DDA to the Tava Group. The Cog Railway car on the property has been the source of a dilemma. When the Broadmoor Manitou and Pikes Peak Cog Railway donated the car to the DDA, the late Dwayne Carter paid to have the car brought to the property. In November 2019, the DDA held a ceremony to name the car Myrna, after Carter's late wife. Cog Car Conundrum Before purchasing the property in Woodland Station, Tava's chief executive officer, Derek Wagoner, agreed to fund the cost of moving the cog away from the property. With no specific location determined, the cog remains in Woodland Station. The Carters believe that their dad signed an agreement with the city that the cog would never be moved, Perry said. I find zero evidence of that. I think early on, the family acted emotionally to the cog potentially being moved. Looking for evidence, Perry said he has gone over minutes of the DDA as well as the city council meetings over the past two and a half years. It's not very clear, not easy to follow, Perry said. Perry said he did find a document signed by Mayor Hillary Labar and Mary Jo Larson, the past DDA chair, that accepts ownership by the city and the Ute Pass Historical Society, a nonprofit organization. The issue heightened with the death of Dwayne Carter in December 2022. My position is to allow the Carter family grace to hopefully get better data. We do have attorneys trying to help us figure this out, Perry said. We, we want to get the cog moved at some point, sooner rather than later, obviously, before breaking ground on the Tava project. It's a liability sitting on the property. After the meeting, Perry said he expected to have a report on his research into past documents at the DDA meeting October 3. The Tava House Project, Steakhouse, Culinary School, and Event Center is inching along, said Mark Weaver, investor and spokesperson for the development in Woodland Station. The traffic and environmental studies are nearly completed preliminaries to beginning the development, he said. All these things take a lot of time, and getting things done quickly is not an option. 
I apologize for how long it takes, but we are moving forward. The next article is entitled "Cripple Creek Voters to Decide Passage of 1% Sales Tax Increase," written by Sonia Oliver. At its September 6 council meeting, the Cripple Creek City Council passed a resolution to allow a ballot question regarding a 1% sales tax increase at the city's upcoming November 7 general election. Cripple Creek Victor RE-1 School District is seeking the increase in sales tax versus a mill levy increase because property taxes have already seen unprecedented hikes due to increased valuations. School officials are hoping the 1 cent tax initiative is more palatable to voters who wish to support the educational needs of the children. According to school board president Mary Belts, the one-time sales tax levy model once used by the community of caring in generating extra money for the Aspen Mine Center was successful because voters were made aware of its specific uses along with the fact that it had a sunset date during discussion council members said the 1% sales tax would expire in an up to 4 years time frame Additionally, those in favor of the levy have said the tourist industry would contribute to the fund as well because of visitors' purchases at local establishments. Article X, Section 20 of the Colorado Constitution requires voter approval for any new tax increase, the creation of any debt, and for spending certain monies above cur- certain above current limits. and for spending certain monies above current limits. The Taxpayers Bill of Rights or TABOR is an amendment to the Colorado Constitution enacted by voters in 1992 limiting the amount of revenue governments in Colorado can retain and spend including state, counties, cities, schools, and special districts requesting revenue changes to be voter approved. The motion to place the tax increase on the ballot in the November general election passed by a 4 to 1 vote with councilman Tom Litherlin voting an emphatic no. In earlier debates he questioned the use of the sales tax believing the school district should ask voters of the entire school district for a mill levy hike. And yes, votes came from Mayor Milford Ashworth, Mayor Pro Tem Melissa Trenery, and council members Bruce Brown and Jared Bowman, all who support allowing voters to decide. The approval of the ballot question by council allows for it to be placed on the ballot per agreement between the city and the Teller County clerk. The Cripple Creek Victor School District had approached the city to place the request before the voters to impose the 1% sales tax for funding and continuation and expansion of the vocational and career technical education programs including construction trades, mini factory, culinary arts and adult education certification program. 
the district was successful in obtaining grants to build the new trade and vocational facility, with the project awarded a $1.5 million grant by the state for startup costs. However, along with facility operational costs, school officials estimate program education costs to range between $300,000 to $500,000. In the passage of the resolution, the city allows for the sales tax increase ballot question to be placed before the electors, who will ultimately decide its fate. School Superintendent Miriam Mondragon and Bielts were in attendance at the September 6th Council meeting to provide support for the initiative. We will make you proud, Belt said, upon its passage by Council. Thank you for joining us for the Pikes Peak Courier. My name is Sophia. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786-7777.